Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Yeah, so I was shocked to hear about the slap. You were shocked to hear about yeah. what slap? Uh, the slap that's about to happen to my taste buds. I was telling you guys, I got these um, spicy, <laughs> these spicy jelly beans, um, courtesy of of my mom and dad. They dropped them off this past weekend. That wasn't the sole purpose of the trip up here. It was just like, oh, we're heading up there. Just, fuck it, we're gonna fuck with his taste buds a little bit. And so the flavors here, I, it's a wheel. You can see on the box. Well, the three of you can. It's a wheel that I spin, and the flavors mm-hmm. I've got. Uh, um, I, I think it goes jalapeno, sriracha, cayenne habanero and carolina reaper um so that's that's not as fun as i really liked aaron's proposed idea that half of the jelly beans were yeah that's one's like cinnamon one's like the jelly bean yeah the the i mean i would take dog shit over a cinnamon jelly i hate cinnamon jelly anyway uh maybe i shouldn't be telling the story but we were at uh my wife's uh, grandparents my wife. Christmas one year, and there was a, thank you. There was a, somebody gave like a gag gift of like, or it just had one of the things where it is, yeah, it's like a, it's like a a, a wheel that you spin, yeah, and it has two flavors on each option that, that you can land on. Yeah, they look the same, but it's like, is this green apple or is it vomit? Right. Um, right, and yeah. we're taking turns and everybody's laughing. Everybody's going around taking one. Everybody's getting to the grandma. To the grandma decides not to do it. And I remember like, hey, what? Oh, wow. th- that you lost. A, now you yeah, you get the grandma pass maybe, but like you lose a little bit of my respect when you are enjoy when you are, when you are uh, indulging in the humor that comes from people eating the dog poo flavored jelly bean, but you do not partake yourself. That is a instant loss of respect for me. Right. You, no question. Yeah, you're you, canceling you spe- Diana's grandmother right now on our I podcast. <laughs> yeah, you sp- you spend the grandma pass to lose out on cool points. That doesn't seem yeah. worth. Yeah. It. That doesn't seem like a fair um, trade. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Like you're- I'm going to spin this wheel really quick, and we can do it, dude. Uh, gets. Uh, Are you doing it on the pod? Two minutes in, yeah. he's going to do it Cody. live. He's going to let it rip. Gets. This is being Carolina Reaper. You oh, could just be like, geez. "Fuck, dude." I mean, does this even? I mean, this does, lay, lay, it, lay down flat. Lay it down flat. Okay, well, well I, do I tried doing that, and it's like, uh, yeah, it doesn't. I hate Twitter, dude. The, the I flick hate like that this. Shit. The, oh, there we go. I love, oh, there we I love go. this on the podcast. Boys, we got a Carolina Reaper. Oh, no. I'm going right. to do it. Cody's it's not going to be Google. talking for 45 this is fucking, minutes. This is event podcast. podcasting right I dem- now. I this demand that you leave your microphone unmuted. Yeah, that's yeah, of course. Hey, that's that's all the disgusting moans. Cody, right. before you do that, quick questions: Do you yeah. have some sort of a beverage, bowl of sugar, bowl of rice next to you? I've got uh, coffee. I've got uh, coffee flavored water. I've got Fireball. a bowl of marshmallows. That's a favorite. Is the, flav- is the mine. flavored water sparkling? Is it carbonated or not? It is not. Is that a deal okay, breaker? But that's fine. No, no, no. Because the carbonated right, okay. water would be the worst thing with a spicy right. food. Agreed. Yeah, you get that. I've made that mistake before. Wow. I, you'll, you'll only make it once. You're, you're good well, after that one time. Have you, have you made it more than once, Harry? Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, Cody, get bean boozled. 
I'm going to get bean-boozled. And, here we um, go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, but, uh, while I plop this in my mouth, what are we doing here again? Why am I, do- why are, why am I here? I'm so glad this you asked, Cody. This is Beancast, a literal roundtable <laughs> Beancast, uh, about beans we ate or people we served beans to at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Buy tickets, buy merch, buy things from them. Uh, give them more money. Um, my name is Jason Dapness. I hate you more than I can bear. I love you more than I can bear. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Ooh, we should have made this 30 years ago. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. That was kind of hot. Mm. I've been watching Cody like keep the stony face yeah, of a podcasting professional all along, but my man is clearly suffering. <laughs> he's in pain. <laughs> His cheeks are getting a little red. He's not making eye contact. He's in the noties. It's bad. Sean I Evans, I know you're watching, motherfucker. Right. Get yeah. Out. Have him on the hot me. Yeah, uh, I didn't Go think ahead. of a quote. Um, so I'm just going to say I wish that were me. Uh, and I'm <laughs> Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. My name is Aaron. Uh, I also forgot to think of a quote. I was hoping that Harry's little digression there would stall in enough time for me to think of. Because if I don't think of a quote, I'm just like, oh, let's try and make a witty thing about this. Like, Look, a man, witty there's, joke. there's no Can't line in nothing. this that no, no, is no. good enough to express what a visual masterpiece it is. This is a visual medium that it's we're a talking feast for the eyes. It's a, it's a smorgasbord for so my retinas. So really, it, it's sort of doing a disservice when you think about it to try to encapsulate our experiences using just the script. When clearly the the filmmaker wanted us to express ourselves using a wider variety of tools, you see what I mean. We're Especially the wrong. Somebody, if, like, if that's what we're going to do, we're the, we're the wrong people for that. I don't have more tools with which. By the way, we're talking about disaster it. movie, uh, two thousand four film. <laughs> no, is this the same uh, fucking bit your brother did when he came on no, and started no, talking no. about Seven Samurai? Started talking about the Magnificent Seven instead. Yeah, that was a that very was, good that's bit. a good bit. That's yeah. a better bit than what I just did. He also yes. did Come and See, which I thought was very good. Uh, shout <laughs> yeah. out, I guess, to Nick. That was a pretty good bit. We'll, we'll do a Come and See up eventually. I won't say his name. No, we are we are talking about Millennium Actress. 2001 film uh, directed by Satoshi Kon. It is the, I guess, of the probably the last Satoshi Kon film we're going to see. I guess it's the only one, right? So, <laughs> yeah, what do you mean probably? It's, it's four of four. He made four films and we have now seen four. Stay tuned <laughs> for our five-hour episode about Paranoia Agents. I, mean, I, I could do, that. yeah, whatever that 45-minute. Magnetic, magnetic Rose. Uh, magnetic the, Rose, the one yeah. from Katsuhiro Hotomo. We could... Uh, we're going to read Opus. We're going to read Opus that. and yeah. Top of the Sea. And, uh, when and Jason and Harry... Commandeer this ship and uh, uh, reroute it towards uh, talking about manga. We will maybe maybe uh, cover other works of Satoshi Kon's, but for now I mean, we're talking like about that's Millennium how we Actress. Got here in the first place, right? Is that Jason and I commandeered not only this podcast full, but the Trilon itself to play yeah. <laughs> Satoshi Kon films? <laughs> Millennium Actress uh, was Satoshi Kon's second film. Uh, it followed up uh, Perfect Blue, his debut. Uh, the film Millennium Actress was. Uh, very loosely based on the lives of Japanese actors uh, Satsuko Hara and uh, Hideko uh, Takamine. Uh, the uh, film, uh, animated film, uh, follows two members of a kind of a, a television crew, a documentary, like interview-based television crew, uh, Genya Tachibana and Kyoji Aida, uh, voice acted originally on Japanese by Shoujo, uh, Aizuka, and uh, Masaya Onosaka. Uh, respectively, uh, as they track down reclusive former actor Chiyoko Fujiwara, um, voice acted by 
due to the nature of the film. A lot of people, depending on the time period depicted, uh, Miyoko Shoji uh, as the kind of elderly uh, Chiyoko, uh, Mami Koyama uh, as uh, the kind of adult uh, Chiyoko, and uh, Famiko Orikasa as the younger uh, Chiyoko. Uh, Chiyoko starred in many films uh, for now bankrupt film studio uh, Gene Studios in Japan, and as she tells Genya and Kyoji the events that made up her life, uh, fact begins to kind of blend with fiction as her past meshes with the stories of her films. Uh, Jason, that's my summary. Wait, that was your transition? I was listening very closely. You thought you were going to make it real smooth. Jason, that's my summary. summary. Didn't you talk Uh, it up? Before the podcast started, you were like, I got it. You really got me ready. Get me ready. Yeah, I, I felt like it I feel would like have been I smooth feel, if it wasn't you know for you like clowns like, interrupting it in this manner. Right Jason, now, take right the now, pass. Right now, the baton I, is yours. I, I Finish the race. Full, I feel fully bean boozled. All right, speaking of being boozled, before. Yeah, how's Cody doing? Yeah. Let's get a Cody check in. Cody check in before we talk about. Cody, how are you feeling? Is it bad? You know, I'm. It was bad. I think I, I had a pretty good poker face going on. Uh, my mouth is still generating a good amount of saliva. I think my tongue <laughs> is mostly back to normal. Um, <laughs> well, hey, no, in so a good fun. way. No, in a good way. I love it. Continue. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I, I can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing that we kicked it off with like the worst flavor. That'd be kind of bullshit if it was like, oh, yeah. we're gonna start with. What's the weakest? Sriracha, probably. I was like, oh, mm. nothing. All right, on with the show. Nothing Cody, I have a deal to make. Deal or no deal, I have a deal to make for you okay. right now. I will uh, donate uh, $25 to the charity of your choice if you pop three of those in your mouth at random right now. I will do that for free. Sucker. Oh, shit. <laughs> do I have to donate the money? I mean, do you want me to... Charities, yeah, the charity's not going to get the money now? Uh, yeah, uh, Tell for those going, poor kids uh, who could have gotten video games or something. Over <laughs> yeah, um, that would definitely right. be Cody's charity of choice, right? Is the young gamers yeah. of America. <laughs> yeah. No! All right. Um, I got... I landed a, a no, habanero. Just grab three. What? I need three. Oh, grab three? Just you don't even want me to grab. Oh, you can spin right. if you want. It, it's kind of fun. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah. Okay, it's, it's just like diverting the pod so much that I feel bad now, but I feel like well, it's yeah. Good. Here, it's okay, habanero, jalapeno, and uh, sriracha. Let's, that was a weak spin. Mm. But, all right. I mean, you know, that was that's how it, that's how it happens. That works. That's all three works. Well, yeah. Cody, can I get can I get you to show? Can I get you to show show the camera real quick? I can't imagine why you would want me to to flash them in front of the camera for uh just for audio us, medium okay so we got nice that red one is sriracha Excellent. can i get you to Thank estimate you. the scovilles i think that was the unit of measurement i was thinking of isn't that right that for measure yeah. spiciness scovilles yeah. Yeah. yeah um i mean these are i mean these are the three weakest ones in in the box i think no more than uh, I was about to say one or two Scovilles as a joke. I think it's like a couple hundred. There's an exponential thousand. effect, though, yeah. with each one you right. eat at the same time. So exactly. build on those bad boys. It's like Ratatouille. Remember that scene where he puts the uh, the strawberry and the cheese in his mouth, and it like redoubles the effect of both? That's what's happening in Cody's taste buds right now, but with spice. Except it's, yeah. it's just like both yeah, of it one It does thing. taste worse, too, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, of course it does, naturally. Okay. So also, can there, we... Spicy jelly beans, so there wasn't a lot to work with taste-wise already, <laughs> yeah. I think. It's just gelatin and, like, cumin. That sounds kind of gross. Uh, I, think, so, I think the jelly bean jalapeno flavor is overwhelming everything right now, which is not particularly pleasant. But I'm going to make some me. faces. Uh, somebody's going to say something about this movie, right? 
Are uh, we? Wait, yeah. Jason, movie? what's up? Sorry, we're what? Here, <laughs> we're here a little bit to talk about a movie, um, and it's uh, Millennium Actress. So uh, let's 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 talk about Aaron. I want to actually throw it back to you because one of the things that you oh, said about fuck. Paprika. I mean, not not directly. I listen. Yeah. I have my preamble, and then you can sort of like see what happens from there. Um, one of the things that you said about Paprika that I think we all ended up agreeing with was the fact that paprika feels like it should have been longer like it was should have been yeah. like it was maybe a little too broad in in scope to really like complete and uh satisfy every like story uh through line every plot thread and stuff some felt some stuff maybe felt a little incomplete a little bit uh you know underbaked uh by necessity just because it's apparently an impossibly um complex book to adapt now with in the case of millennium actress I feel personally like it benefits a lot from like one consistent narrative through line and that uh, Satoshi Kon's work is best presented and best like received that way where there are like, there's a myriad of ideas. There are a bunch of themes and concepts that he wants to be able to address and sort of evoke, but there's one anchoring story, one anchoring plot that really just lets you reflect all of it. I feel like Millennium Actress is that for me. Was that for you? Yeah, I think this is a perfectly length film. This is a, it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. Uh, it's quite nice. I mean, it. it uh, I think one of the things about this film, uh, there's the theme of kind of chasing and running and that it, it never stops with the exception of like maybe kind of one or two scenes that are that are mostly kind of comic relief or or the opposite end of the spectrum, like very emotionally hard hitting, you know, a Chiyoko standing in, in a bunch of rubble in World War II or whatever. Uh, with the exception of one or two of those kind of scenes, most of the scenes in this film are, they're moving. They are, there's this momentum that the film keeps building up as you go from from one film uh, that's kind of blending in with her life to the next one, right? She's constantly running down hallways, across train platforms, through doors. Um, and that kind of momentum is what makes this film work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, I think, backed up a lot by the the music in this film, which like oh, man. is something to talk about because it's like it, it's very good music, but also like very uh, what some might call manipulative uh, music. Mm. There, there are quite a lot of scenes in this that. film that you think would be silent, but are just absolutely the the music is like doing a lot of the emotional carrying. I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's a valid way to use music, but that this mm-hmm. film does have this kind of, I don't know, Spielberg-esque, uh, even like kind of this, uh, even like cloud atlasy kind of grander uh, uh, notion about the universe and time and space and all it all being connected that like the music maybe feels a little cheap, but it, it worked on me real well. Uh, so I think that was fine. So like, I think that compounded with the the movement of just the, the narrative uh, that we're kind of uh, watching as viewers, like 80, 86, 87 minutes goes down real smooth. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. it? I think it, yeah. Isn't it longer? It's like, even? It's like yeah. not, I mean, I'm sure that, and here's the thing that I was thinking about was like 87 every, minutes. How dare every, you? Sorry. Okay. Well, Sorry, it's, it's, it's listed on the Trilands website, I think as 90, but anyway, I think that's like just, Oh, are you measuring from the title credits to the yeah, like, yeah. end credits? Are you measuring to the, whatever. Um, but I, I, I agree. I think that it's much better paced. And I think like with Satoshi Gon's work in particular, especially as we're looking back on these recent rewatches of all these movies, um, it is easy for a lot of his ideas, uh, to, um, you know, his, his filmography developed around a, a same, like a similar set of ideas, but they had a tendency later in his career to sort of get away from him. Not necessarily like as a shortcoming of the director. I think he like always gave it everything he had. I think it's just like the more and the broader and broader, the bigger and bigger it wanted to get. Some of those things can feel diluted 
uh, some of those fa- things can feel like maybe they didn't complete. We kind of talked about, and nobody really wants to say it, but Paprika might be, and this is comparatively, comparatively speaking, his worst film just because it does yeah. not end up that right. strongly all throughout. Um, but like, and I, I mean, it's also a perfect illustration of what you were just saying, right, Jason, where it's like, I think that Paprika is a movie with so many ideas and so much passion devoted mm-hmm. to those ideas that it almost works against it, right? Where it was like, you could tell Satoshi Kon always wanted to make that movie. It was always something that he felt was a really great expression of his sort of like larger artistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. But something almost ironically right about the fact that he cared so much about it or that he was trying to do so much at once sort of like watered it down or made it uh less effective yeah i mean still like stunning works obviously like and well worth watching every one of them but uh, i don't know that like those themes got richer in his later movies um i think in it's it was an interesting case in tokyo godfathers where like he didn't abandon those per se but they just took a different form with a different co-writer and a different purpose like after uh, i just finished watching uh, satoshi kon the illusionist the documentary that was produced last year about satoshi kon's work and life um and after perfect blue uh did not turn a profit and after millennium actress got a lot of attention uh critically but also failed to like perform uh, revenue wise, they decided they needed something lighter, something easier, something more marketable. And that's where, I mean, not like the whole of it. I'm sure that there was more like worth to the idea to produce it, but Tokyo Godfathers was, was that for them was like, Hey, let's make a movie that more people can enjoy. Obviously that's like, so wild. Can Imagine that you're Satoshi Kon and, and somebody comes to you and says, Hey, we need a commercial smash. And he's like, I'm going to make Tokyo Godfathers. I'm going to make a movie about, uh, three homeless people who discovered God and themselves. Um, but, uh, in the case of millennium actress in particular, I think that like, because we have one narrative through line, one plot, uh, more or less that, that like there are ancillary stories. There are things that like bounce off of that, but they're always coming back to one thing. In the case, I think I compare it to like paprika in which the detective story while compelling, and he's a great character and there's like a great story there. That story could exist almost separate from uh, paprika's story in, in a lot of ways, like at least if you're just looking bare plot and it makes it feel like sometimes we're focusing in different places that maybe don't really like feed into larger idea of the story and that makes it feel like maybe some wasted time in a way in 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 some ways but in millennium actress even what are shown to be like secondary stories are serving chioko's main story um of of like this woman being given like wholeness and meaning through uh the like roles that she's played in her life both socially and uh on screen you know um i think that it's just like a stronger film for being like mid career than late career where there were more expectations of what he like wanted to do and what his, where his career was going. I wish that, that, that we could call this like early career, but it's still roughly mid career just because he didn't get to produce that many movies before his death. Um, I think that it was that this movie feels a lot more moving, a lot more triumphant, I guess, because it has like that dedication to its ideas and that smaller scope and ability to just focus, I guess. Yeah, and I think those things make it a pretty compelling choice for like the last film in the Trilons series. I really like this pick as sort of like the end cap. Um, like yeah, I remember watching, point. yeah, watching Millennium Actress for the first time a few years ago. Uh, shout out to Jason for letting me borrow his Blu-ray of it. Um, like I, I was not watching 
I had seen, I think, everything except Paranoid Agent up to that point, and I did not have the benefit of uh, like the rapid succession of revisiting all of them and sort of getting the repetitions of um, you, you know dipping my toes back into the waters of Satoshi Kon and his blending of um, you know different types of uh, imagery and blending reality, fantasy, dreams, memories, all that stuff, and um, like Millennium Actress, uh, it's. It, fighting for i think my second favorite uh, of his films but i just uh, the way that those things come together in that like jason you were saying that sort of more intimate scope like it just feels a, like a really nice capper um and you know the the story of of uh chioko being mapped against really uh, and like definitely call me out if i'm overstepping um because i'm very out of my element with this but like feeling like 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 her story mapped against the the story of japan and the the rapid succession of like seeing all of these genres one after another um with uh, you know the with paprika's ambitions that would probably feel completely different but i i think the benefit here of you know the fact that we are it feels like we're running through this whole movie and understanding that yeah there are all these uh com- important components to to um chioko's uh individual journey um, and also, you know, J- like all of these things are very important to the cultural history of Japan and like all Hell of yeah. those are so important and like there is so much to it. And this is just like we're, we're scraping the surface of it. You get that feeling very, like very vividly. It's, it's an immense rush. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, and, uh, and speaking of I, rushes, I like, like yeah. formally, um, that's something that, uh, Aaron brought up earlier, right? Is that it's. Yeah. The, the movement formally matches the tone and theme and style of this movie so well, right? Because Satoshi Kon is always about blending of things, and he always uses that blending effect to make a larger point about um, identity and the self and society, and in this case, memory, right? But like, so the fact that he blends um, fact and fish, fiction through transportation as like a, a method for demonstrating that, right? Like we see um, Kyoko move from running to horseback to bicycling to a car um, through these periods of history, through these films. Um, it, it really lends itself well to this understanding of us moving through time and understanding context as something that is sort of linear, a linear progression through time. And it stops it from getting bogged down the way that you just said, Jason, right? Because we're always on to the next thing to the point where I would even argue that there are some parts of this movie that I'm not a huge fan of, or that I wish were different. I think that um, in the second act, their decision to be really, um, like explicit about the ways in which her life was mirroring the movies um, was less effective for me than in the first act when hmm. the, the mirroring is so blended. It's so one in one that you don't know where fact and fiction parse out, right? Like you can't reconstruct the, the biography of her life essentially or like exactly until you get to a certain place in the story where the key is stolen and all of that stuff happens. Um, but that being said, even if the moment to moment doesn't, work quite perfectly always for me um there's always something happening next and all of these things viewed together and all of these things taken in the context of each other really present this this really realized understanding of satoshi Kon's um point that he's trying to make about what memory and what a life is um in this movie 
And I think he can do that through similar methods or maybe particularly because he's focusing on one character and one story. He can he can make the universal personal in a way that he did for Perfect Blue and in a way that I think he fails to do in Paprika, right? Because ultimately this is, in addition to everything else it is, which I agree with you, Cody, like I think the first time I watched this movie, I thought it was like fully a metaphor for like, 20th century agency and like what it means to like come to terms with who we are as a people and a culture. Um, but I like equally and even beyond that, it is a love story, right? And it's a story about one woman and one woman who we come to know, whom we come to know very well and love right by the end of this movie. And I think that that, and the fact that it's both allegorical and personal in that way makes it so affecting and so accessible in a way that I think even something like perfect blue isn't quite right. Like, yeah, I really don't, I don't feel the philo- the philosophical underpinnings in this movie the way I do in many others, even though I would argue that this is maybe his like quote unquote deepest film in terms of like what he's trying to express with it and all of the things he's trying to express at once. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? I, I think so. I think that like, it's interesting to talk about the ways, like the ways that he gets there are pretty similar to the ways that he gets to his other points in, um, uh, uh, perfect blue and, and in paprika is like through like this, uh, uh, repetition replacement, like, like we were talking about visually, it's just like a very interesting movie to watch. It's sort of like, it's very, um, it's like stimulant, you know, there's always something on screen to, to see and pay attention to it, to track. Uh, and then like in the penultimate scene, we have like that run that, sorry, uh, that run that you were talking about where we see her actually going from various methods of transportation, uh, through time. And we just see like her actions, like she's trying to get into a door and suddenly it turns into the jail door that she was trying to get to her lover through. And just these like really makes you think completely differently about it. It's, it's great. And it makes you think completely differently about what came beyond before. And it like reminds you that, Oh, the seeds were being planted for there to be explicit assonance between the things you were watching 30 minutes ago. That's such a good point. It's trying to make now. I, I, I really love how like, all the pieces come to add together and still like, like you say, it is ultimately still, and it feels like I go out of my mind thinking about takes for movies that we have on this podcast, but it still comes down, like you said, Harry, to being a love story uh, about a woman who's pursuing uh, somebody that she wants. And that's literally like the thematic through line. That is like, and then, and there, there's a lot crusted on. There are a lot of things that we have on the side. There are a lot of like interesting uh, conversations being sprouted up, but ultimately it, it, comes back to the heart of it being the pursuit of a thing somebody's pursuit of a thing and the ways that they respond to uh you know the 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 various ways that they've had to get there um i want to talk about aaron's letterbox review at some point because that's where a lot of my ideas are coming from but yes it is yes it is letterbox review i mean i was gonna i was gonna go there i mean the thing that's so great about it and this is sort of getting at that is that satoshi Kone makes all of these things work in conjunction with each other so well and in such an intuitive way that they feel true like deeply true right like and it's like what is the what is the connection between um memory and emotion right and between fiction and how we compartmentalize or not compartmentalize, but um, how we parse fiction and how we apply fiction to our lives in terms of what it teaches us. How does that connect with the identity and the sort of um, mythologization of ourselves that we do? Um, and by expressing it this way, by expressing, and, and the central conceit of this movie is, is surprisingly simple, right? I mean, it's a narrative documentary and we find out that um, Chiyoko is in fact on her deathbed and, and grappling with Alzheimer's. And so like the sort of gaps or blending that happen 
in this movie from like a literal perspective is happening because she is losing her memory. Right. And that comes up, but like in doing that in, in like giving us that central conceit, Satoshi Kon can do this incredible thing where he makes a bigger point about what memory and therefore identity is right. Where he like, he talks about how like, Oh, like, like it's not just because Chiyoko has, um, Alzheimer's that this is happening. It's happening because this is naturally what memory is, right? This is how the story of ourselves comes together is we sort of like the things that made an impact on us are like slotted into our lives and they affect everything that came before and after and they affect how we see ourselves and they affect how we see the story of our lives. And that's how we build meaning and that's Mm -hmm. how we build associations. And so like Chioko is is building her filmography into her personal memory of life. But the, the movie is making the point that like, that is not actually different from what memory is. Right. Um, I think, uh, Alexander Gray, who wrote for um, Perisphere, the Trilon Cinemas blog, um, Illusion and Longing and Satoshi Kon's Millennium Actress, makes a really great point about that in that. So you should read that, I guess, right? It's He says that um, that memory and fiction and selfhood are all um, complementary, right? Like they're all yeah. mixed in and they all affect one another in such a way that there is no, none of them exist without the other without that sort of like intermediary of the self parsing and unpacking Mm -hmm. over and over again. There was, it's exactly like, um, again, to go back to that documentary, there was footage of Satoshi Kon from 2003 talking about a millennium actress and sort of its successes. And the direct quote from him was that um, inside a human being uh, memories, the present and the past and the future coexist, uh, which was sort of like his thesis statement for the movie. Um, I think that what you were saying about the uh, intersection of memory and fiction and reality is really important there because, then, like I was saying, the movie does that. Like, like it, like it literally calls back to things you saw earlier, things that left an impact on you earlier in the movie, to recollect a feeling later on, to like make that thing have resonance. And that's it. Sounds like a pretty basic cinematic idea, right? Just recall something, show something again in a different perspective. But like running alongside the exact themes and story of this movie, uh, I think just makes it like it's part of the magic of this movie is that like it's a movie about movies that do that, and then it does that in that statement. I don't know. It's, it's very Satoshi Kon of it. Um, yeah. But, uh, well, and, and I mean like, like Aaron, your review sort of like gets at, it's not just, um, it's not just the personal sort of like identification of, of symbols and how it works into our lives. It's also like what the symbols or what the stories that we tell as a culture or as a people in history are right. It's like, those are also definitive. So it's like, there's, there's an exchange happening here, right? Like Chiyoko is not just imprinting her personal story onto her filmography. Her filmography is also imprinting itself onto her, right? Like the, the way that she understands her movies and her in association with them is affecting how she understands her life and, and what her life has been spent doing, right? Like you get the sense that, that with each film we, we pass through, on our way, she recontextualizes it to be about the pursuit of this pure love, right? Of this love of a uh, an activist that she never saw again. But like, also as she's recontextualizing those films, they are recontextualizing her life, right? Like, it comes to be about something else by the end of this movie. Her pursuit of this man, because of her understanding and recontextualization of it through symbols and through history and through culture, it comes to be something that she can use to understand herself and what her life was really all about, Mm -hmm. right? And in doing so, 
she radically transforms the story of her life that she had told to that point to be about something else, right? Like the, I find the the ending of this movie is like maybe Satoshi Kon's most affecting moment for me, right? Because like throughout this movie, we watched Chiyoko chase this this man, and we never got to see her um, get to him, and it it's tragic, right? But then she says. Um, actually what I was doing and now, now I realize that right at the end of my life, looking back is that the pursuit of this, this purity, this idea through my art and through my understanding of myself is what I was doing. That was what my life was built on. And like that turn at the end of this movie, when she realizes that is like, I think one of Satoshi Kon's like very greatest moments in terms of like the, not only like unpacking his philosophy but also like this is what it means right like this is how it can affect you and especially um as a filmmaker right as somebody who is actually doing these things it's it's like a really beautiful thing to say i think yeah i think we should talk more about the um end of the movie uh later on in this conversation but i do want to get to uh we've called up aaron's review on letterboxd of this movie quite a bit um i don't want to put you on the spot because i know that i review movies with a lot of bullshit that i know i can't uh support later on but i do like it is an interesting i'll just read it out lmao we're really out here thinking that we're the ones inventing symbols tilted face smiley joy crying face when their hard defining edges shape us uh now what don't tell me what that means. Just tell me what you saw in the movie that made you want to put those words down. What is oh, also, gotcha. motherfucker, this is why we don't review movies before we do the podcast. I see you making that pained expression. There's an easy way to not do that, like yeah. to, to not uh, have that happen to you. No, I'm, I'm pained because that is a reference to a Gene Wolfe quote. Well, that well, was awful. I hate that. So at the, yeah, so. I don't even want to know about it now. <laughs> no, I mean, he's right. I think I just, I tried to explain it just now, right? It's like. They're the symbols <laughs> and stories we tell do define us. Go ahead, Aaron. I I uh I uh write letterbox reviews for myself on my own personal account to keep track of what I've watched. Uh it's a personal account, not related to this podcast. Uh and oh yeah, your if you want to read all. if you if you want to read my reviews on the podcast, you could do so. You just gotta live with the consequences of it. I don't think uh, I'm the a, one who got owned here. I think you're see, the one who looks the, like a fool. The, Sure. Uh, yeah, the the main character of the Book of the New Sun very early on in that series is given a coin uh, uh, by a person that he views as this rebellious figure. And the, the coin uh, kind of symbolizes his his desire to break out of the society that has put him into a rather rigid kind of uh, uh, basically is a tool of the state to enact violence. Uh, mm-hmm. And he views this coin as a symbol of this rebellion that he can strive for. Uh, and he basically lives his life trying to live up to the ideal of a person that he hasn't mm-hmm. actually met. Um, and it turns out, of course, the person's actually kind of a shithead. So, yeah, Colonel Kurt situation. Yeah, so, kind of, so, yeah. so it reflected to you, at least, the idea. The of idea of being handed a key and the, the, the symbol of that key meaning more than the actual person themselves, who, who Chiyoko, of course, is not uh, familiar with. Uh, but it was also just kind of a, an in-joke for myself. That's well, but um, the interesting thing real, about um, about that quote is that I think that there really is something. There's something there in the sense that, um, like, I I really love this movie's take on sort of like agency denial because like it is it is a surprise. It's a really sad movie in a lot of ways, right? Like like Chioko 
we we sort of get the sense that she is a a tragic figure at the beginning of this movie, and the movie demonstrates actually it it sort of transforms her life to make it not tragic, but that doesn't change the fact that like throughout her life she was exploited, right? In much well, in much yeah. the same way that that imperial powers exploited the the narratives of their peoples and That's, the narratives of um of history to their own sort of like ends, right? Like and, I think and that, how specifically Japanese. Sorry to cut you off, but specifically Japanese cinema as something that kind of uh, uh, as a historical document kind of kind of takes mm-hmm. uh, a country to task uh, and kind of resolves a view of history that maybe is, is kind of unacknowledged, right? If you, if you look at the scene where Chiyoko kind of emerges into the ruins uh, of uh, what city is that? Not sure, but ruins of a city uh, after a bombing uh, in Japan. Um, and I believe it is uh, uh, Kyoji, who is kind of the younger of the two uh, on the documentary crew, makes like a joke about like, oh, is this a sci-fi set, right? And it's like played off as a joke, but like, he actually does not know, right? Like he is younger and uh, uh, Genya uh, Tachibana, you know, kind of uh, makes fun of him uh, for that and says, hey, you idiot. But like the point here point. is that like he, he doesn't like there's an aspect of the past that like is unacknowledged uh, or is kind of uh, un, un, unknown by the people who didn't live through it. Some of that's their fault. Some of that's the not their fault. Right. But films as historical documents, even narrative films kind of offer up this this uh, uh, kind of historical artifact to help us understand the past, right? It's kind of the same thing that something like, I think like Lost Highway is kind of making the same point about sure. cinema as a whole. But, um, but interestingly, right, like this this movie is not saying, it's not a an impartial document, right? And it's not even a document yeah, yeah. That, is, that is not susceptible to its own narrativization and therefore um, abuse, right? Like I think Joko's story is also a story of propaganda, right? Her early films are literal pro-war Japanese propaganda. She yeah. gets into them because she wants to follow this guy and because those are the movies being made at the time. But even before that, right? Like from from the very start of her career, she was exploited and lied to by this director, by this other actress, all of whom saw her for something and wanted her for something. And that is, that's the sort of like agency destruction that I'm referring to in addition to, which, which I think parallels the the history of it all. Right. It's like, well, all of these people are telling her that her life story means these things. It means that she should be this way, or it leads to this conclusion. And I think that there's a point there about how narrative documents can do the same thing, right? Like all of these propagandas were, prompting nationalism in Japan and then um, re-examining that nationalism in order to understand what went wrong, etc. But all of those things are, are driving towards conclusions. And it's really interesting the way that this movie talks about, or thinks about how those conclusions might not be conclusions Chiyoko herself wants, right? In And she has to sort of rewrite the narrative to yeah. make them something else in order to reclaim her own agency from the um, the like course of history. Right. Yeah. And, and the I think the the idea about these kind of uh, I guess what you might call from a historical perspective, uh, these imperfect documents still, nevertheless, in their messiness, kind of uh, bringing to light another aspect of history, I think is very important. Right. Like, I think if you look at the uh, you know, I, I think this film is in a very small way, not primarily, but in a small way, kind of a critique of uh, a failure to kind of remember the past. And, and maybe it's some sort of hope for film to kind of help improve that a little bit. Um, but 
I think if you look at, for example, some of the earlier films that Chioko was involved in, right, that that do reflect a lot of the, for example, kind of uh, gendered uh, aspects of Japanese society at the time, right? The idea that she is supposed to, uh, you know, she's supposed to inherit the shop. She's not supposed to get into to acting, right? Right. That is mostly a man's thing to do. And if it's not a man's thing to do, then it's for it's for other women, right? You are supposed to raise a family, uh, uh, kind of, you know, take over the shop. And that is, in a way, kind of working for uh, this kind of sense of nationalism and kind of helping out the community in Japan as a whole. Um, I also think that like the idea of the narratives of uh, uh, Japanese cinema kind of reflecting a change, like a kind of like a sea change in how stories were being told specifically um, the very individual and like hero based aspect of uh, kind of, Earlier Japanese film, uh, Jiragaki, uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, sure. I believe so. Yes. Uh, and how that changes uh, th- this kind of stories about, you know, samurai and ronin and whatnot, um, kind of individuals who maybe work together, uh, kind of collection of individuals, but individuals who kind of save the day and how that changes when something like World War II happens and that kind of story of individual uh, heroism and victory no longer makes sense in in the face of like this impenetrable this like uh, existential kind of threat of, of destruction and war. Right. I think that's what the scene means when she kind of comes out into the, the ruin and destruction is it's like, there's all these scenes where, where Genya is inserting himself as some sort of hero in her story. And you cannot do that in once the nature of those stories change and how film kind of reflects that change in society. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's it's very strong. I think it's interesting to talk about um uh Genya as like our little portal into the movie. Um he's like I would call him probably like the opposite of uh, of a proper lens for the audience because he's like he is so he is so much in, in, like yeah. indebted to the fiction that he actually exists as part of it that like he draws he's a simp. he well he draws himself <laughs> yeah, he is a simp. Uh, oh, yeah. but for for much older women so he's not canceled. Um, he must. He, he might have been like he was a. He would have been a front runner last year. I think. You know what though? Oh, yeah. Also, Chioko. Both of them massive simps. Yeah, yeah, this oh, yeah. is the, everybody it's, simps it's for something. Change. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Even, that's right. Even Bro. even the leftist leftist painter was uh, was simping. For, we just didn't. He was simping for just um, an, the, a nice the landscape. People. Yeah. Hokkaido. Yeah. Um, whom among us? Really? You know. Whom among us? Yeah. Uh, but I like. I just think, uh, having seen this movie a few times, I focused more this time on Genya because, like I said, he's he's supposed to be there as like, oh, he's leading the documentary crew, so he's going to be our uh, little hero, right? He's going to be the one showing us, like, he's going to be our little, he's going to be our kaleidoscope through which we see the themes of this movie. And then he's not. Uh, he like it. He and the documentary and the uh, he as part of the documentary crew, uh, like they're they're almost like a straight man um, and comedy whatever that setup is called. Uh, just the two man comedy crew, like yep. because Manzai, he, I believe in Japanese. Sure. Uh, because then the other guy is like the straight man. He's like asking at every step. He's like, what is going on here? Are we now in a movie? Are we now in a romantic comedy? Are we now in a wartime movie? Um, and I just think that's a fun way to give us a penetration point into the story because like a whole lot of it relies upon those two. And yet we are anchorless in them because Genya is one step ahead. He's following, he's sort of leading the story. Uh, and Kyuji or Kyoji is, um, is like as lost as we are, right? He is, it, it's weird that when you're only like ostensible lens, you're only ostensible stand in for the audience is also just an audience member with you. 
it, it takes a lot for that story to connect. And I think it still manages to uh, over the course of the movie. Yeah, I agree. And the, the I remember the first time watching this movie, I like Genya's presence was sort of like overwhelming and domineered maybe more than uh, more than it did the second time around. Um, I, I was like the sort of service level framing of like, Oh, like, Oh, you're always here to, to save me. It was kind of like, ah, it was like, why does he need to be here? But it's very clear um, uh, for me upon rewatch uh, and maybe for other uh, smarter people, the f- their first time through of like, yeah, he's there to write, like guide her, like not guide her along, but just like make it so she's continually able to tell her story. And we mm-hmm. see her like at, I mean, at every, at every time we sort of pivot to a new um, genre or a new set piece, we see her sort of, um, you know, approaching, you know, the, uh, the, his historical elements of the period pieces and sort of reflecting on what was the, um, the bit where she's um, in the Kaiju film and like, you know, uh, getting into, you know, the deep rooted anxieties about um, nuclear warfare, things like that. And then the pivoting to Ozu and the sort of domestic, um, uh, AK movies where we're trying to get uh Setsuko Hara to like get a husband, basically <laughs> just like looking at all of those, lo- looking at all those um, like the sort of um the the common themes at each uh at, like at each spot specific spot at that particular time and saying like no I want something more I want something different I I'm still trying to figure out what it is but I want to like continue with the chase right, right. like that's sort of Genya's role is just like, well, the chase needs to like continue. That needs to keep happening. We need to keep moving through, through all of this. He's a good director. He's a good producer. It's called good writing. It's interesting because I don't think he's a good producer or director at all at the beginning of this movie. And I think he kind of tries to evolve, but I mean, I think what, what Cody had just said is, is really great where it says like, oh, he's trying to make sure that Chiyoko uh, can tell her story. It's very important that he fails at that, right? And in fact, that I don't think he was trying to get Chiyoko to tell her story at all. I think that he was trying to validate a story that he had about Chiyoko that he wanted to be true because he was as, as in love with Chiyoko as Chiyoko was with the man that she never really met. Right. And so um, I think that that Genya on this rewatch for me, he became like a really important part of this movie and a central one and sort of like where the commentary on implicating the viewer themselves in the sort of like disgusting game of celebrity culture from Perfect Blue picks up. Right. Because like especially when you examine this movie as sort of a light retelling of Setsukahara's story and you think about how she was so maligned for who she was as a person in her own life and her own legacy and how everyone tried to take her roles and how she comported herself outside of those roles and use them to fuel narratives that would validate what she, what they, what she could be to them. Right. I think Genya is also doing that, right? Like there is a, there's a motif in this movie that recurs about purity, right? About artistic purity and about how Chiyoko is this almost like, Madonna-like symbol for Genya of this perfect, pure artist that exists beyond the sort of worldliness of uh, being a woman. And he feels very protective of her in that way. And I think that this movie does a really good job of critiquing that by showing that Genya's understanding of her or the narrative of her life breaks down for him just like it breaks down for her. And they're left... 
And just like it broke down for the 20th century, right? I think that this is also a story of how the national consciousness of Japan was building towards a conclusion of history, an end of history for them, right? And following World War II, that didn't happen. And they were left with the void of that. And so in all of those different ways, those stories intersect and it becomes about how the story is not what you think it is, right? Or like you can't tell that narrative. Instead, you have to do, you have to like understand what it means that that narrative isn't, isn't there, right? And I really like Genya's coming of age as a way to get at that along with Chiyoko's. But but that is to say, like, I don't think, like, Genya's not an impartial, he's sort of a perfect lens for the viewer for what's... <laughs> Isn't Kyoji? Kyoji's the one to do that, though. Like, I think that's, Genya That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Kyoji's the one. He's the one who's like, what the fuck is going on? Look at this fucking weirdo chasing after this woman all well, this he, time, he's, right? he's having the same reactions that supposedly, like, that we would, right, to this guy crying within the movie about a movie that the you know woman he's interviewing was in right i mean i i see the point that uh that genya like his ambitions and motivation are very similar to the way that you know people approach celebrity culture approach cinema etc with this like sort of again going back to the perfect blue thing sort of this like uh virginal view of the people that they have never met idea uh but to me kyoji is is definitely like the guy who's supposed to be hey relate to this character because he also can't follow what's going on you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean to me kyoji was just co- sort of comic relief <laughs> yeah he also he also is kind of just <laughs> sort of comic yeah. relief as well genya has yeah. a character arc right that's what i'm trying to to speak to is this idea mm-hmm. that like yes like genya ends up having the same relationship to chiyoko that chiyoko has to the key man right where he's like oh yeah. chiyoko herself the person isn't the symbol of purity that I thought she was, but like my thinking of her in that way has defined what I consider to be worthwhile and worth pursuing in life. Just the same way that Chiyoko sort of assembled this idealized understanding of the world and other people through this key man who, you know, like, like, uh, Genya would say like that, that man died. He was a shadow of someone who was no longer there. But even if she had met him, he wouldn't have been what he, what she thought he was, right? Or like she wouldn't even want like be able to define what she thinks he was, right? Maybe. In, in sort of the same way, it's it's all about that like purity. Um, what were you going to say, Jason? I was just going to say like I don't know if I see that for Genya because Genya has like he knows everything there is to know about this woman. Like there's, he's never met her, he, but he's imbibed all of her uh, works. He's presumably read anything that's ever existed about her. Um, I, does he come to any revelations about the character of so, that, yeah. that like, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that it's the key, right? He doesn't know what the key's for. He thought it was, he doesn't know the significance and he's, he's deeply like depressed at first when he figures out that it was a man, right? He's like, wait, <laughs> you're telling me that, that Chioka was in love with a guy all of this time. And that's why like all of this, this beauty and purity that I was reading into her, she was just, she was simping just like I'm simping. She's a human <laughs> being. She's not like driven by these higher artistic passions of purity. She was actually just trying to find and get with this dude. I think that's the arc, right? Is that like he, by the end of this movie, Chiyoko is brought down to earth for him where it's like, but, and then there's that great transcendental turn where it turns out that like, it's actually, this is better than if she had been 
like this this yeah, she's shooting control. away in a rocket ship for the yeah. stars right right yeah. yeah still unattainable as uh as the painter was for her you know well but but yeah. now the difference is that the the point isn't the stars it's the fact that she's in the rocket ship and she's taken control right yeah. it's like there yeah. there is this like when you realize that with the with the disillusionment that you are that the things you thought were going to be are not going to be it becomes very important for you to understand why you wanted them right and then why you wanted them defines who you are um it's it's like that uh you know i mean the quote about disillusionment in east of eden or like um all of that that stuff right where it's like following that sort of like coming of age moment where you realize that like the thing that that was going to be the sort of like grand conclusion of your life is not happening it allows you to recast your life and understand what you were actually doing. Right. And I think both of these characters reach that by the end of this movie. Yeah. And again, I think that just echoes through like the structure of the movie too. Like, right. The end so of the movie well. literally being the end, being the beginning, just formally, you know, thinking like from what I'm actually seeing rather than the, even, even thematically, like even just structurally, it's, it's all there. Um, Aaron, you made a sharp intake of breath. Like you were going to say something. Yeah. Two. Well, the, I guess these are kind of finalish thoughts, but, but two very, Quick thoughts, one just shotgun thoughts. One should have had more of the sci-fi movie in this movie. No, not enough space sci-fi representation. A little too much in the Godzilla movie, uh, but not enough. Uh, I'm just shitting. I'm just shitting on him. No, 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 no. no look, <laughs> you'll have your time gonna, in, the sun yeah, in a few weeks, buddy. You're going to be doing perfect, great. Don't worry about it. amount of Godzilla, given what the schedule's looking yeah. like in the, in the coming weeks. on straight of Godzilla. Uh, just watch Godzilla right? Fest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, second thought. Uh, I think this is Toshi Cohen's best movie. That's my hot take. I, I, I think will it's not argue with that. Yeah. I think it's like, oh, Perfect Blue. Here's the thing. I bet if I watch Perfect Blue, I might might flip-flop on that. I don't know. But it's a testament to this. This is, is, uh, it's got to be between this and Tokyo Godfathers for being his least, like, well-known movie, right? Like, if you ask Mm -hmm. somebody, like, maybe maybe, maybe four four out of ten anime fans will say, yeah, I've seen Paprika. And then another two out of ten will say, hey, yeah, I've seen Perfect Blue. And then, like, none of them are going to say, yeah, I've watched also Millennium Actress. And, and it sucks also so Tokyo bad. Godfathers, even though right? they're because excellent people movies. Are like, people are like, oh, Paprika, Satoshi Kon's masterpiece, his swan it's song. And it's, like, and it's like, yeah, Millennium X beats that movie's yeah. ass. Like, yeah. like really, yeah. really hard. Just in terms of like everything, like even kind of everything Paprika is trying to do, Millennium Actress is like doing a better and more mature job of doing that I in do, a lot of I ways. I do like the song Mediation Field off of the Paprika soundtrack. That has been my walking from the train stop to my work uh, in the morning. That's been my like. <laughs> that sound has been like. It's still going to be the music, but also Millennium Actress's yeah. music is has really good. It's music. great. It's very good music. <laughs> yes. It's very, you know what? That's a great point. Yeah, I uh, uh, I think if there's one criticism that could be made, I don't think I would make it uh, because I often like this, but this movie is very melodramatic and it is kind of carrying you emotionally just based on the editing and the the uh, the soundtrack quite a bit. Like, if especially if you like watch for it, it's like, oh, yeah. this scene is very much like this has well, some fucking hallmark movie ass music in the background uh I'll, that it's, we'll it's use, i'll use your example it, I mean, i'll use your like letterbox good. View of of like yeah. I, it's it, it's shaping you it's like actively yes, molding you into its emotional state right? film is manipulation you know yeah, that's all well, it is like, yeah. and and this is a movie about melodramatic movies 
So like, right, right. I think that even, even that you can argue is, is formally um, consistent with the themes of this movie, right? Like, I, 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 I kind of had a take this movie. This movie, yeah, this, uh, ooh, I'm dead. This movie made me think, like, maybe if I watched Interstellar, I would like that movie. Maybe if I watched it again, I hated that movie when it first came out. And I'm like, I thought that was, like, the worst, like, cheesiest shit. And it's like, maybe it just, like, maybe it's just me growing old and, like, my hey. brain slowly rotting. But it's like, maybe all there is is love and time, right, hey, man? Aaron, you know? Is it possible for you to talk about movies without bringing up Christopher Nolan? <laughs> I do it all I the time. Say, I do it all I, the time. I mean, I, it's been a while since I've seen Interstellar, but in my mind, it's a better movie than Inception. No, I think you stand a pretty good it. chance. I watch it. And uh, Aaron, your brain's a, not dying. Your brain is thriving. Your brain is growing. It's learning. It's loving. It's learning to be loved. This is a normal after, thing. Waiting. After the scuff we got into uh, last week about the old Nolan fight, uh, I, I would argue, uh, <laughs> what a honestly, that, was. that I think Millennium Actress, I mean, look, I don't, I don't fucking know the guy. I think Millennium Actress, specifically the editing in this film, kind of the, the jumping, that is something... Uh, Nolan specifically loves doing, I mean, Inception, there's the dream levels, whatever, Interstellar, there's time periods and all that. Uh, but I think that the editing in this film feels very, very influential on on Nolan uh, uh, and his ability to kind of like switch between very aesthetically different things and kind of edit those together to kind of drive towards one kind of central climax. Yeah. I think that like th- this movie feels like very influential on like what his whole thing is in, in his better movies. Um, I feel that. I don't know. I feel That's that. like my gut take, I guess. I, feel, I mean, um, it's like the whole concept of this, uh, you know, um, uh, series that the trial and put together is like, you cannot measure his impact across animation or live action film. Yeah. You know, like it's just too. He's the velvet on the ground. He's the, not everybody saw Satoshi Kon's films, but he influenced, uh, uh, a 10,000 American directors. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, if, if, even if you haven't seen yeah. his movies, you've seen his movies in a way. That's you know? Each, each American director that saw one of his movies went out and made a blockbuster film that made a billion dollars <laughs> at the box office. <laughs> Listen, guys, Fine. I think I know what we need to do next. Um, speaking of the series in at writ large, I, I wanted to see if anybody, like, it sounds like we'd all be pretty comfortable ranking the Cohen movies we've seen. The, these four as part of the series. Are you, are you cool with that? Cody, was that your noties bit? Just real quick, it was not, that one off. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, there, there was a split second where I was like, "This could just be the noties," but then I was like, I, "That's there's like a seventy percent chance that's well, going to come up." And I mean, I'm going to call my shot right now and just say that like, uh, one of us is maybe going to swap his uh, his one and two, uh, and the rest of us are going to have the same rankings. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. Well, for the then it'll take thirty five seconds. Uh, mine's mm-hmm. Perfect Blue Millennium Actress. Tokyo Godfather's Paprika, Cody. Best to worst. Yes. Uh, yeah, best to worst. Uh, Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfather's Paprika. And mine is Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, <laughs> Tokyo Godfather's, and Paprika. Uh, as a big fan of making lists, the idea of counting from best to worst is... Why don't you shut my the fuck up and just say However, I will do it. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it's, it's just... You, isn't that how you listed them on Letterboxd? Oh, yeah, but you had letterbox in a light. Oh, so, oh, so. yeah, but blah, 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 blah. Well, we're no, supposed to like count. We're supposed to count up like we're the fucking Rolling Stone. Aaron, Wait, can you can you sort? Aaron, Ooh. you need to get bean boozled. You do, need do, to get do, do, do. no. You can't. You can't. You can't do them descending. But yeah, I, I think Millennium Actress is my favorite of his films. Mm-hmm. I'd say Perfect Blue, Tokyo Godfathers, and I don't like Paprika. That's um, 
down there. Well, thank you. Thanks, guys, for indulging yes. me in what, you know, we had to call a not fun bit before having a little bit of fun with the bit. Uh, I, yeah. I love yeah. I love setting the stage by just smearing the audience in shit. Can um, we do one more one more bit real quick, uh, which is, Cody, do you have anything yeah. to report about your bean venture that you went on earlier? Um, I have, honestly, all the... It was fine. Yeah, all the side effects have subsided. You know, I tried to, you know, subject myself to some spicy shit every now and again. I have not had a, a Carolina Reaper flavored anything um, in quite some time. So that was uh, a bit of a jolt. Um, but uh, yeah, I, one thing I do have to report, though, is um, just to clarify the nature of letterbox lists. I don't know if you can see on the camera here. At least from my profile, you have different ways of sorting, um, and you can sort by um, RB Please's rating from low to high. You can also, yeah, as you're making the list, just drop them in whatever order. Is this the, wor- is this the worst episode of our podcast? No, 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 no. Wait, hold on, hold on. I need to no, defend now. I'm, now I did, fun and fair. Now I need to defend myself. I'm I'm not talking about you viewing a list and then sorting it. That's great. I'm saying if I'm making the list, I would like to default. Kind of like a variety top fifty action films of all time, whatever. Do you mean like I would like top, to do them top left? Yeah, top left is bottom space, and as you move right, you're going closer and closer to the top. Uh, no, no, I like how it is currently. But if the criticism is, hey, you did that on Letterbox, I'm just going to say it doesn't allow me to do it otherwise, so it doesn't mm. matter. All right, yeah. well, so we'll talk about the yeah. Letterbox logistics okay. more right. another time. I'll get your ass off, yeah. Mike. Yeah, uh, get it's it's the same you when I'm looking uh, one of my own lists. How cool is it that Satoshi Kon? Like, I think. Maybe the reason I like Perfect Blue a little bit more than Millennium Actress is because, like, I think Millennium Actress is about what the 20th century was. And I think the um, Perfect Blue, ironically, since it came out in 97, is about what the 21st century was going to be. Hmm. Um, and Hellish. Holy shit. He was right. Like, he was so right about both. Like, I think that, like, this, along with another movie I really like, Millennium Mambo, um, is... <laughs> They're like, they are maybe the two most indispensable millennium movies, right? <laughs> but like movies about like what the 20th, 20th century was. Um, I think Millennium Actress gets it so right in terms of like h- humankind understanding our agency as the sort of like memory meaning makers through time and understanding what we have to do with what we've been given and what we can't help but use um, is like, it's an amazing point to make in 2001 about everything that just happened. Um, and perfect blue was right that, uh, the internet was going to be really, really bad for women forever. Um, so yeah, a visionary, uh, truly a man with taste and vision, uh, and forward thought. Well, that I think should actually wrap up our discussion portion of the podcast. Do not leave dear listener, because this is not actually the end of the podcast. Uh, I feel like I have to, I'm speaking as much to my co-hosts as, as I am to the audience at this point, but we're not actually done with the podcast. We're just done with the discussion of the movie at hand. Uh, so that was millennium actress. Uh, you have missed, unfortunately the trial series on Satoshi Kon, but all of his films are now finally widely digitally and physically available. You should find them. I believe as of, as of right now, they're still streaming from the uh, Smithsonian's, uh, I forget the exact term, but the uh, Institute on Asian Modern Art. Um, I'm sure that I'm getting the name of that wrong, but uh, just Google Satoshi Kon, um, the illusionist. That is what the documentary that's currently playing uh, is streaming for free, along with his four feature films. Uh, and then, hey, check out the Paranoia Agent, if those turned out to be your shit. Uh, that was our actual discussion. Now at about an hour in, we're going to be talking about the final segment of our show, uh, which I need Harry's help to ring in. Yes, thank you, Jason. It is the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Wow, thank you, gentlemen, for that 
earth-shaking introduction. Uh, I'm just going to be eating more beans, so uh, stay tuned. <laughs> no, um, this week we'll be doing a, a little trivia exercise about actors who didn't start getting their acting credits until the 21st century, which is to say we'll be learning a little more about some millennium actresses. Wow. Wow. This is pretty good. This is actually pretty good. Cool. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, hey, hey, we all well, get zero um, and are canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Name a woman from 2000. Name a woman from 2000. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, don't praise it too yet. Um, it may turn out to, to be a flop. Um, like none of the Millennium Actresses movies were. They, they, those all look like great movies. Um, in any case, what I'll do is present each actress that we're talking about here. These are completely different actresses. I'm going to present them one at a time and subsequently ask a question that is at least, you get the gist by now, they're loosely tied to that person. Um, after each statement, I will ask y'all in, why did I make this so complicated? Reverse alphabetical by last name order. So Harry, Aaron, Jason, um, in that order to respond. Uh, you'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer. And the person with the most points at the end will win. Uh, it feels like it's been a while since I've said this. So <clears throat> as always, trivia mafia rules apply here, which is to say, uh, use your noodles, not your Googles. And with that, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, so we got five millennium actresses here that we're talking about today. The first one, uh, we're going to start with Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, who had her first acting credit in the year 2001. How tall is Rachel McAdams? Harry? Oh. You can't beat the classics, guys. 5'4". Uh, Harry says five four. Uh, Aaron, how tall do you think Rachel McAdams is? She just has such a tall presence, you know. So I, she I, looms uh, large. Um, the risk of being sandwiched. I'm going to go five six. Mm, sandwiched. All right, Aaron says five six. And Jason, are you going to sandwich him? Or are you going to go? I'm going to sandwich that boy. I'm going to be the top piece of whole wheat. Okay, give me like two. Come on. I'm not going to say five six and two quarters. I'm going to say oh, you're going to say five seven. Yeah, I was going to say five eight. So I'll say five eight. I I, I feel like I watched Morning Glory, okay. where she is often staged with Diane Keaton and Harrison Ford, and I don't remember her being significantly shorter than either of them. So, uh, but if there's a tie, I want to win it. I want round downs on the tie. Daphne. Well, since That's you called it, yeah, that was that was the tiebreaker. Whoever calls it gets the points. So yeah, um, well, that was well played, Aaron. No, uh, Rachel <laughs> McAdams. Uh, going off a few sources on the internet, Rachel McAdams is reportedly five feet four inches. Whoa. Harry knows his heights. Um, I I would have said higher as well. To me, she has a, a tall presence, commanding um, presence. Don't ask me to elaborate on that. Well, you, see, you can tell a lot magic. about a person's height by how big their feet are. So that's sort of how I found out. Really, um, really cool. All right, we're going to move on to, to number two. Uh, up, <laughs> up next, we've got, um, folks, we've got we've got my favorite alien in the whole galaxy, and that's Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, my most favoritist alien. <laughs> Going by formal acting credits, uh, she got her start in 2014. Now, in many, for those unaware, uh, in many IMDb profiles, they've got a section dedicated to trademarks of that particular artist. And uh, what I'm going to do here uh, as you might guess, is list three Anya Taylor-Joy trademarks uh, per IMDb. Uh, two will be for real, one will be for fake, and your job will be to pick out the fake trademark. So I'm going to read them one at a time. We've got large, wide-set eyes, her deep voice, high cheekbones. You're, dis- you're describing th- a farm animal. This is offensive. <laughs> 
Hey, two of those are for real. Don't I, look. My I, God, I, take it up with take it take it up with Brandon IMDb in, in Hollywood Hills. Um, I am dude Brandon. Um, can you read the back? The guy who post? runs IMDb yeah. live in Hollywood Hills. That's he lives next to the studios to make a website. Get up with him. I don't know. <laughs> he should get on so his the, remote the, work train. <laughs> The trademarks again, oh. folks, I had four spicy jelly beans. I don't know what I'm <laughs> saying anymore. Uh, the trademarks again, large, wide set eyes, her deep voice, and high cheekbones. So Harry, which one of those stands out to you as the fake trademark of one on I mean, Taylor Joy? She has big eyes and high cheekbones, but I don't think she has a particularly deep voice. So I'm going to go with deep voice is the fake one. All right, Harry goes with deep voice. Aaron, what do you go with? I feel like Cody's too smart for this and like wouldn't. I know. I know. I'm going to go with the eyes. Like, I feel like it's kind of a weird thing to like. Yeah, I'm going to go with the eyes. I feel like that seems kind of fake. I mean, all right. She does have. Yeah. Um, Aaron's going with the eyes. Jason's going with. For for similar reasons, I'm going to go with the cheekbones. Um, One, to cover the spread. And two, because like, I think that her voice, though, it's not like basso profundo is like, oh, among leading actresses, she has kind of a a huskier voice yeah. than Emma than, Stone. Than traditionally. You know, Emma Stone just talks like like a high schooler, though. I don't think that's a particularly low timbre. She just Emma like Stone's got such a deep voice, what? bro. Yeah, she sounds like she's been smoking for a million years. That's the whole thing. Well, she'd be dead. Hey, I'm Cruella Deville. What <laughs> up? Um, <laughs> admittedly, Jason's logic is the logic I went with when I fabricated the her deep voice uh, trademark. That was indeed the fake one. It. I didn't go and rewatch anything. I was just like, uh, yeah, her voice is kind of a little deeper. I was banking on the the ambiguity of these IMDb trademarks where they put them in. Um, we've had them in previous games. And it's like, I don't, that doesn't seem like a standout feature of this person. I will say the one trademark I omitted um, from IMDb's list uh, was, quote unquote, her British accent, which <laughs> I don't, I mean, trademark sure. accent. <laughs> yeah, you know, a nationality is really a trademark when you think about it. Um Cody, uh, sorry if you said this, but what was her millennium turn? Like, what was... Uh, it was not the Vivich. I think that was credit number three. I don't remember the titles associated with... I don't think any of the... I think all of them are like... It's not like their first yeah. credit was like yeah. some big shit, but um, the Vivich was 2015. I think that was her last uh, She was Wonder credit Woman? Or so. Oh, she I thought, I thought the idea right. of millennium actress was an actress who was active at the turn of the millennium. Who got their start just like, after it. Yeah. Well, she's oh, like okay, cool. nineteen. Because I was yeah. gonna say, yeah, she's like nineteen years old or whatever. <laughs> she's like a little, yeah, uh, yeah. She was in. Is that, two, do we want to do that for bonus points? We always do that. Second when we Matrix out, like, movie as baby <laughs> Ford. How old is this person? Um, how old do y'all? Th- this is for no points. How old do y'all think Anya Taylor Joy is? Oh, uh, I just we'll start with uh, uh, Harry. How old do you think she is? Twenty-five. Uh, Aaron. Tw- Twenty. 24 i mean the way 24 all right 24 and jason uh sorry i had to recuse myself because i know the answer i just went to her letterbox to find out what her first two movies <laughs> well, were I, I run <laughs> i run on a taylor joy uh, do you because you fucked <laughs> no, up you, pretty I'm bad you in this right joke. there i was gonna say yeah. I, I, so jason hit. knows that um that was like an unnecessary um spoke in the wheel to give harry more momentum as he nails it she is in fact 25 um I mean, only... this feet web website of his is making me very very scared uh of everything <laughs> thanks for making right that now. joke because i was going to as well 
I look, I gotta, I, you know, if I don't bring up the feet or somebody else brings up the feet, you're going to keep going back to the feet and we can't have that. I always happen. go back to the feet, Cody. Jason, can everybody, you delete everybody the RSS feed listening. for this podcast? Just entirely. I already Sorry, did. This, this recording is going to the void. <laughs> this ghost protocoling right. this whole podcast. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Um, so everybody catch your breath a little bit to take <gasps> a, a deep one or a couple. Um, while you're doing that, I, I'll just note here that the score uh, is currently Harry's got two. Aaron and Jason are, are tied with zero points a piece this is still very much oh, anyone's <laughs> game anybody's um, game <laughs> oh Nico Bellic. uh our our third millennium actress uh, also debuting in 2014 was one florence Pugh. hashtag team flow um debuting on the 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 film scene i don't remember what her credit was it was probably some garbage uh but for this question we're gonna invoke uh, <laughs> look they can't all be hits we're gonna invoke yeah. the rashomon rule which is that no film needs to be longer than rashomon a perfect film released in 1950 and directed by akira kurosawa rashomon comes in at 88 minutes so i ask you all what percentage of florence Pugh's feature film credits abide by the rashomon rule harry uh 25 percent here he goes with 25%. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, 15. Aaron's gone with 15. And Jason? I feel like she was acting long before I really like started watching her. So I'm going to say... Just said. I'm going to say 30%. Jason goes with 30%. Uh, of the... 10 feature film credits Ten. that list flow as an actor kind of wild. Um, and weeding out all the, the Marvel feature at bullshit um, using letterbox as our, our yardstick uh, or our meter stick. Um, if you're listening from abroad, shout outs um, flow. If you're listening, uh, one of them comes in at or under 88 minutes, which uh, gets us to 10% and uh, Aaron picks up the point. Wow. Who's closest with 15. Well done. About that? Yeah. How about anybody's name? Person? What's that? Yeah. She's a big franchise person. That makes sense. Which one is the one that comes in under 90? Is it Lady Macbeth? It, 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 yep, Lady Macbeth. <laughs> Bonus points in my mind. You know, <laughs> that you, why did you have to say it like that? Oh, mercy have upon us all. Uh, we've got two more Millennium Actresses to discuss. And for our fourth one, uh, we're going to shout out Lupita Nyong'o, who got her first credit in 2006. Uh, similar to what we've done in previous games, I'm going to read off three quotes allegedly uttered by, I lost my place, Lupita Nyong'o. There we go. Two of these utterances will be for real, again, allegedly. And one will be fake, and your task will be to pick up the fake one. So I'll read off the three quotes, the quoties, uh, and leave it to each of you to pick out the imposter quotey afterward. So I'll read these one at a time. First one, having stamina. I think that's what my three years at Yale rewarded me with, a kind of stamina. So that's the first quote. Second quote, beautiful people have many advantages but so do friendly people. And the third quote, I realized that generosity was not a thing I could acquire or consume. It was something that I just had to be. So which one of those is the fake quotey Harry? Uh, this might be a, if this called shot doesn't work out, I'll look like an idiot, but I think she went to Juilliard. So I'm going to say that the first quote is, is the incorrect one because Cody's trying to pull a fast one and he just changed one of the less operative parts of the quote. Like he is want to do. Like I'm want to do. Uh, yep. So Harry goes with the first quote, Aaron, what are you thinking? Uh, um, 
I like that logic, but I'm not gonna I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna go for quote number two. I'm gonna challenge Jason to go for number three. Round I mean, it out, I, Jason. I was literally gonna go for quote number three on the same logic basis that Harry had about generosity. I feel like it's something that's not generosity. Oh. Something that's not so here we go. Spread the covered Cody by Robinson the trial of voice. Yeah, yeah. Well done, gentlemen. Uh, the imposter is the third quote. Yes. So Jason gets the point. The actual. You're welcome. The actual. Oh, you are so <laughs> welcome. For forcing, for forcing his hand. I forgot the quotes and I just picked number two. So. <laughs> uh, the, the actual alleged quote is as follows. I, um, I realized that beauty not generosity. I realized that beauty was not a thing I could acquire or consume. It was something that I just had to be. Well, she doesn't know about, about acquiring sure. beauty. Wow. She's never that's met gotta, Abe. That's a very funny quote when you consider how beautiful Lupita Nyong'o is. Like, oh, that was not something I, I could acquire or become. It was just something I obviously have. <laughs> and once again, folks, that is uh, mackinsfeedery.com um, for all of your all of your needs like the even worse mr skin like the e- somehow even worse mr skin <laughs> oh mr boy. finn uh, hey where where is lupita nyong'o yeah, anyway i feel like i haven't seen her in anything since us she was just part of the big will smith yeah, thing she was part of the i know she was, yeah. that's not a film performance that's where at, she was at uh, the awards for a bunch of shit <laughs> she, she's, she's, probably, uh, she's probably in california somewhere um, I hope that answers your question. Thanks. Yeah. She she's uh she's got a movie. I think that came out during the pandemic. Uh, like a zombie indie whatever. Um, I think it's called Little Monsters, and hmm. I believe it's streaming on Hulu. I was flipping through Letterbox profiles. Uh, for you know for research. Um, not at Harry's website. I was doing actual research for the pod. Um, going to where where I'm gonna bypass um that um that hole that I just dug for myself with that transition. Um, this is our fifth and final. Uh, means of, of getting points, or I should say, Harry's up to two. Aaron and Jason have one apiece. This is still very much anybody's game, etc. Uh, for this fifth and final question, this fifth and final Millennium Actress, we turn to Michelle Rodriguez, who didn't get her first credit until 2000, which I believe technically disqualifies her for the Millennium Actress, but I'm extending the boundary a bit for her because boundaries can count. be extended uh, for family when it comes to Novi segments. And I really just yeah. wanted a question about Fast and Furious. Yeah, so, uh, on, yeah, on, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll pass that amendment through. Um, so on that note, what I'm going to ask each of y'all to do is provide your guesses for the following. Um, I'm going to need the names of the two Fast and Furious franchise films that you believe have gross the most uh, internationally taking oh into God. account international gross so to be very to be very explicit us and also everywhere else everywhere in the world the highest total cumulative worldwide gross um the two highest earners and also the one fast and furious franchise film that you believe has grossed the least internationally so i'm going to get three titles from each of you the top 2 and the bottom one the top 2 do not have to be in order I'm just looking for names. Don't worry about where exactly they're slotted. Um, is, feel free to. Yep, go ahead. Is it okay to question? use Letterboxd to pull it because I don't remember the titles of all of these movies? That's fine. And just no, so you know what, come to on. Help, <laughs> to, I, mean, I mean, they don't yeah, have box I, office if you, if information you, on Letterboxd. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Um, and I'll pull it up as well, just as a little key for myself to help with the, the translating of the if I, the fans, of the fans will note that if I had asked that 
the the answer would have been a resounding no from Cody. <laughs> I, I, I said yes. You would have heard it from two other people. That I know for a fact. Okay, I'm good. All right, so we've got okay. So I'll I'll go to Harry first. Now, Harry, remember the the top two and the bottom one. So what are you thinking? Yeah, it's a basic answer, but I think I'm going to try The Fate of the Furious and Fast 9 for the two highest grossing. And for uh, lowest, um, uh, maybe um, Fast and Furious 3. What's the name, please? Isn't it just Fast and Furious 3? I can't remember. Bro. Which one? Are you, uh, which one are you talking about? Actually, why don't you describe the plot a little bit here? Just make sure we're on the same page. Well, that's the one, right? The if one that don't I don't guess really to remember. I think oh, you would oh, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's Tokyo uh, Drift. I forgot that that was Fast and Furious Three. I meant uh, Fast Four. Fast no, and okay. Furious. Fast your, and Furious. Your answer is yeah. Fast and Furious for least. Okay. Okay. So just to, and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll re- repeat them back. So Harry, your top two, just to, to log them in here, we've got somebody etching them in concrete uh, off mic. Um, top two, uh, Fast and Furious 8, Fate of the Furious, and Fast 9. Those are the top two. And then Fast and Furious, aka the fourth one, is the bottom one. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't really think I'm right now that I think about it, but that those are my guesses. Thank you. Okay. Yep. No problem. Uh, Aaron, over to you. What do you think? Okay. Harry forgot one very important historical fact, which is uh, Paul Walker dead. Yes. Paul Walker oh, dead, bro. Yes. Paul Walker dead. Uh, I'm going Furious 7 and F9, uh, least uh, Tokyo Drift. All righty. So Fast and Furious 7. Oh, it could be too fast. Too fast. Uh, fast and Furious, uh, sorry, Furious 7 and F9 as the top two. And then Tokyo Drift as the bottom one. Do I have that correct? Yeah. I thought Too Fast, okay. Too Furious 2, but I figure like if the direct <laughs> sequel made the least money, they probably wouldn't have gone ahead and made a billion more, right? So I don't know. Who's uh, among us? It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I thought they, it's either Too Fast, Too Furious. Or, anyway, Jason, what's your, what's your, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll pivot to, yeah, Jason, what are your pieces? Yeah. My 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 guesses for top earning are uh, Fast Seven and The Fate of the Furious. Um, it I feel like the ones that straddled the Paul Walker uh, divide must be must be the ones that people were like, oh wait, this is the one uh, where he's where he died. Oh, interesting. Oh, this is the one, the first one they're making without him. I think I Fate of Furious might have made more than F nine. We'll see. Anyway, what's your least? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have eight, seven and eight for top earners. Um, man, I don't know. I want to say. I want to say any franchise by the time you get to six is like you're banking on really unstable ground. So I'm going to say apropos of nothing. I'm going to say number six. All right. Jason but, is ooh, going no. with number six. Yeah. I've like five five the best one. That's what they started six, making money, dude. Anyway, six, is the, bottom, uh, six is the bottom one. Fast seven and fate as the top two, Jason. Do I have yes. those correct? All right. Uh, so, so here's where we're at folks. <sighs> Thank you, uh, thank you for those guesses and those rationales. I was hearing those. Uh, Oh, where's my pointer? Um, (laughs) Yep, yep. yep. Oh, just, just. There's three things to read off. You can't do a drum. Two, (laughs) the top two Fast and Furious franchise international earners are Furious Seven and The Fate of the Furious. (laughs) I may have tied Jason on this one though. (laughs) <laughs> the Probably. the bottom Fast and Furious franchise international earner is 
the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Ah. All right. So uh, we're good, baby. Let's go. <laughs> so here, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. And uh, so uh, the final score for the entire game, I've got Harry, three points. Aaron, or, or I should say Harry, three points, picking up one point in that last question. Aaron, three points, picking up two in that last question. And Jason, three points, picking up two in that last question. I've got Yo. a potential tie oh. if you want to roll with that. If you want to. I mean, if you all want to tie for I mean, first. if you prepared it, we have to do it. But the idea of us all walking off into the sunset is beautiful. And unfortunately, we're nice. deprived. It's so appropriate this, for family. You know what I mean? This competition-based. <laughs> yeah, I've always said, hey, maybe we should do some sort of group you quiz. You can tell me to go Fighting each other with knives in the streets. This is crucial for me to know, for me to vote whether or not we do the tiebreaker. Will I get to know the tiebreaker question afterward, even if we say no? Will you tell yeah, me that fuck question? It. Why not? Yeah. Okay. No, we, we, I say no. I say we all win it. We have to do the tiebreaker because we're always hairies. We no, we won't. We'll just ask after. No, ask no we after. don't have yeah, to do the tiebreaker. I'm fine with it. Sounds like Harry is the one who's really not fine. We don't have to do Jason. the tiebreaker. I mean, I we just, outnumber I him, Jason, my so. reasoning. Yeah, I think we, I think we ride off into the sunset. We three Godfathers it and just get the but, fuck but out of here. I, we're gonna ride off into the sunset, but Jason and I are gonna kind of be in a small little pack on the side yeah. for this one. We know. Although we Harry know. will also be riding off into the sunset. <laughs> just I don't want to ride from us. I don't really want to ride <laughs> just, off into the just, sunset just, with you guys. The same. It's the same sunset. You're just a little to the right. You know. Just, just oh a little. Okay. So well, that, what the, what the, okay. Like so everybody wins. Everybody right, gets win, first yeah. prize. We we have yeah, good Twitter you. content for the day this episode drops. This will be really nice. Um, the tiebreaker would have been uh, what uh, having each of you guess the the difference between the top earner and the bottom earner in the franchise. Oh boy! Like, I think I could have like, nailed that. I think I could have nailed that. Really? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? Uh, I think it is one point three billion. <laughs> That's remarkably close. Holy what shit! What is it? Because I, uh, I believe that that F, uh, Fury Seven made one point five, one point six billion, and I think Tokyo Drift made two, three hundred. So okay, <laughs> I'm gonna lead with that is very impressive. I would have won. Uh, Fur- so, Furious Seven, Furious Seven uh, was the top earner. It made just above $1.5 billion going by worldwide gross. Fate of the Furious uh, was just above $1.2 billion. And Tokyo Drift worldwide got uh, just under $158 million, meaning that the difference between the top earner and the bottom earner would have been around uh, $1,360,000,000. I rounded up just by like 10000 but that's... Oh my God. Aaron definitely would have taken that one. Yeah. But I shared my spoils instead with my... I think it it was nice of Cody at the end of the Satoshi Kone uh, series, maybe give not me something. totally Aaron's wheelhouse <laughs> to, to give him such an obvious uh, like advantage here in yeah. this last round. Yeah. Ah, what a good notey section. Thank you, Cody. That was a great notey yeah, thanks, section. Cody. That was you great. Know, my, fa- my favorite part is that we all departed as equals, and yet Aaron That's is right. still taking the moral high ground for knowing that he yeah. would have won. Somehow I mean, he's... I would have crushed that last question. I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I fucking I'm knew not, the amount Furious 7 made. What do you want? That's, that's, that's <laughs> really... In the, uh, I know we're past the area of, like, cool flex, or uh, what is that phrase? It's just, like... Weird flex? Cool, uh, nice, weird flex, but okay. Um, I guess that wasn't even a weird flex. That was impressive. That's a pretty good flex. Yeah. Yeah, that was a re- super relevant flex, uh, and that's what you get here on Try Love is a bunch of relevant <laughs> flexes. Thank you so much for joining for our uh, Satoshi Kone series. Uh, if you're picking this up after just uh, seeing it at the Trilon, I uh, hope you had a good time there. We did. 
Uh, if you're picking this up and uh, you're just watching it on your own, I uh, hope you got something out of this conversation because we've really uh, come to love these movies over time. And um, I hope it shows in our in our podcast content. For right now, uh, you can look forward to more stuff from our podcast uh, following the Trilon schedule. I know that we've got the Ishiro Honda's Godzilla series coming up. We've got um, a number of great series coming up at the Trilon. Check out their website for more information about that. Uh, we've got great guests, great one-offs, uh, good times all around. Uh, stay tuned. But for now, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema all across all social media. And you can find their website, Trilon.org, at Trilon.org. Uh, and you can put it in your web browser. I'm not going to do that again. That wasn't funny the first time. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendufus. That's N-I-N-T-E-N-D-U-F-U-S. Uh, great great work everybody you know what i'm just gonna pat pat us on the back while we're still on mic a uh, shout out to all the millennium actresses out there and you know what here's to women we don't say that often enough here's to women shout out to all the women out there I think we make that joke every episode <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't remember uh i've been cody and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh uh thank you uh everyone the satoshi Kon series meant so much to me i i'm really glad that we got to do it um Super glad uh, to have the opportunity. Thanks to the Trilon. Thanks for listening. Uh, sorry for laughing through a lot of what Jason was saying. It's just after he said relevant flex, I thought about like a new Bill and Ted where Ted goes, relevant flex, bro. <laughs> and I thought that was very funny. And I, um, I was distracted by it. So relevant flex, bro. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name's Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. By tomorrow, I won't be able to remember. <laughs>